You broke the story last night in this program, the allegation that someone at the Phoenix VA is trying to hide the exact number of dead there. Is someone investigating this? Yes, we do know the information, Anderson, was given to the Office of the Inspector General by our whistleblower. Pauline DeWinter says she did that as soon as she noticed the records she was in charge of being changed. The Inspector General's office told us just this afternoon they were aware of the allegation prior to our broadcast last night. It is under review. And let me remind you of what we are talking about. DeWinter, the scheduler at the Phoenix VA, Anderson, says until recently, until recently, She's been going through this wait list, calling to check on the veterans waiting for care, and in seven cases where she was personally learning that the veterans on that wait list had died, where she notated that in the record, someone, she says, has gone in and changed those veterans back to living. The FBI is going to find out who did that? Yeah. Yes. The FBI will find who did that. Will the FBI also be able to find out who change dead people back to life and put them back on a list? Yes. And they'll find out that fraud was committed. Correct. Are you pretty confident that people are going to be charged with crime scene things? I would be surprised if they were not. I mean, it's just extraordinary. To be clear, she says this was going on recently. She says it was happening up until just a few weeks ago. It's her belief somebody is trying to throw investigators off the trail of several veterans who have died waiting for care by hiding the fact, Anderson, that they died. She thinks it's a crime. We know the FBI is involved in the Phoenix investigation, but beyond saying they're aware of the allegations, the IG isn't saying much, the FBI isn't saying anything. And polling to winner, she still works for the VA. I know last night she said she was scared about, about coming forward on the program. Uh, has she gotten any reaction at work today? Yeah, she's very emotional when she's talking to us today, mostly very supportive. She says many of her coworkers are thanking her for speaking out. The only reaction that she got from management, she said, was she was told to meet with the new director of that Phoenix VA this afternoon. That meeting was canceled. She doesn't know what it's about, but she's still very nervous. Her going public could harm her career in the long term, as as are many whistleblowers. Sure, understandably. And, and the former Phoenix VA director, Sharon Hellman, the person who told you back in April that there was no waiting list, uh, that it was all basically a misunderstanding, has she been fired? She's not fired yet. She remains on leave on the payroll as this investigation pans out. We do know the VA has begun the termination process uh, with some of the executives there. She's apparently one of them. But to your answer, she's getting paid. Gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, veterans left in harm's way right here on the homeland. We deal with that information. We deal with that topic. What happened to a country that for those that have fought and died, that the treatment of veterans in this hour is out of control? We're talking about levels of cruelty that we have not seen. Tonight we deal with that topic, veterans left in harm's way. This is AJC Radio. We take off right now. (laughs) 
have at Unglomont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Sampson Riddle, Clinton Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Tanique Wright, the entire AJC radio team. And tonight we deal with a very troubling situation in this country regarding veterans. Uh, we, this comes from a situation that has happened over the last couple of weeks regarding a veteran here right in uh, our area here that is really uh, in a situation where he should not have been treated the way he, he was. And the fact that we're in a time in our country right now that people simply do not care. They have the uh, political or, or what, you, what I call political correct answers when you're going out investigating and trying to find out why is this veteran being treated so bad. And we find that all over the country, veterans have been treated horribly bad. And we're going to deal with all of that. Why do we have an alarming number of veterans that are homeless in this country after fighting to secure freedom and all the things they have fought for in this nation? It is absolutely, uh, to me, uh, the most horrible things that I have seen uh, and we're going to deal with all of it tonight. It may not be something that people want to talk about. I guarantee you on this show, uh, we're going to discuss it. Sampson, give me your thoughts uh, as we deal with this, not only of the situation uh, we're going to be bringing to the forefront tonight, uh, but also just as a whole across this country. The veteran, uh, the VA has had huge issues uh, as far as getting a few years back where huge scandals had broken out, that they were people who had their applications for benefits that were thrown in the trash. Uh, so they, these people didn't get any type of coverage or care. That's just one part of it. But then you have it when a veteran shows up uh, at the end of days in his life uh, to a rest home, and I, we will be naming that rest home here shortly, uh, and he's simply treated like a piece of trash. Give us your thoughts on it as, uh, as a veteran yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, having had to deal with the veterans, you know, administration, I mean, they're supposed to be the ones, like, they're an agency that's supposed to be advocating for veterans' rights, veterans' benefits, everything like that. But the fact of the matter is, is there anything but that? I mean, you know, as a disabled vet, I literally had to go and hire an advocacy agency to fight to just, for my, to get my proper disability rating. I mean, they, do, they don't want to give up any amount of money. In my opinion, they're nothing but another government agency to basically squeeze as much money out of the American public and then reserve it for themselves without actually giving it to the people that fought and bled to have those, those, those liberties. The, exactly, those liberties, those benefits. You know, as, as somebody that, that you, when you go to military service, whether you go to war or not, and you're broken during that service, the, the government, the country has a debt to you as somebody that has served them in that public or in that voluntary sense. It's like, okay, you can't operate at the full capacity that you did whenever you went in. Let us as a society take care of you because you were willing to put your life on the line. The fact of the matter is, is there is probably tens, if not hundreds of thousands of, like you mentioned, homeless veterans across the United States. There are ones that are facing unemployment, underemployment. We face a higher rate of suicide than any other yes. populace in the United States. We face a higher rate of divorce than any other populace in the United States. We face everything, and the fact of the matter is, is the agency that is set up by the government to support us does nothing but berate us, put us on un, 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 basically untimely waits. I mean, I'm talking – they have four months to review if you want to increase in your disability, four months. Now, that could be the difference between being homeless and actually having something to put a roof over your head for your family and food on the table. But they have all this time, and they drag it out, and they drag it out, and they drag it out. And unless you know the ins and the outs of dealing with the VA, 
it, it can be an eternal process. I have been, I literally just got uh, my 100% VA disability rating last December. I've been fighting with them for almost 10 years since I got out in 2013 to get the disability rating that I deserved. And the fact matter is, again, they will play, and they play people like this all the time because they play on people's lack of knowledge, especially veterans. We just want to get out. We want to get our lives back together. We want to get back into society. We want to get going, but we want the stuff that we've earned. The fact of the matter is, is they play games. They hide it in policy, and they're never forthcoming with, with information, especially those that are even hired by the VA to, that are supposed to advocate on your behalf. They don't do that with the veteran that you're talking about. You know, there's been so much information that I, I can recollect that has been hidden. You know, that they, don't, they won't come out and tell you, oh, you're entitled to this. Oh, you're entitled to this. You're entitled to this. If you don't go out there and know where to research or actually, you know, take the time to look into it yourself, they will rob you blind. There are so many b benefits that are out there for combat veterans. I mean, I'm talking about everything, not just the simple stuff, of, oh, give me my disability. There's stuff out there, hey, you don't have to pay for your vehicle registration. There's certain tax breaks on your home. There's all kinds of things, death benefits, survivor pensions, there's all kinds of things that the VA will not tell you because if you don't file for it, they don't have to give it, and they still get allocated the funds from the federal government to say, oh, we have to have that in reserve in case they ask for it. Uh, that's a disgrace. Uh, uh, that's a disgrace. Uh, you know, uh, the problem with the American people or, or dealing with issues, dealing with our soldiers, uh, it, the bad part about it is we, we are, this country is always posturing like they care, always putting the commercials out like we care about our veterans. We even have a holiday called Veterans Day. And guess what? I'm going to hate to say this. It's a joke. It's a joke. I mean, yeah, honestly, yeah. I'm, what, what's a free meal at Golden Crow going to do for somebody that doesn't even have a job? You'll feed them once. And they'll go. And, the, I mean, you'll see it. There's a lot of veterans that do it. They look forward to Veterans Day because they might be on the struggle, and they will go around to every single place that's offering free food or free something just so they can have something. And it, that, that's pathetic. On Veterans Day? On Veterans Day, yeah. They will go. They will research it because the fact of the matter is, I mean, when you have active duty soldiers that are being told to go get food stamps because they're not getting paid enough, imagine what's happening to the veterans. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, there should not be a single homeless veteran in the United States, period. If you've ever volunteered, again, whether you had to go to a deployment on a deployment or not, the fact that you volunteered, you should never be homeless. But the fact the fact is there's you know there's so much bureaucracy there's so many political agendas that people don't actually people that have served don't get the benefits that, that they rightfully deserve. Demetrius. Yeah, and, and to Samson's point, I've I've seen my dad Samson struggle the same to his story. My dad's almost 80 years old and he's he served two tours in Nam and he loved being a soldier. He loved fighting for this country. But the way I see that they treat him, the VA, he has fought probably as uh, longer than Samson, just trying to get the benefit that's owed to him. And it's really sad that, in my opinion, as uh, the son watching my dad fight for, to Samson's point, his, his, the benefits that they owed, it's like they want him to just die so he, they, they don't have to claim that. And that's really, sometimes it breaks my heart to, to see that he gave his life, his blood, his sweat, his tears. And at 80-something years old, he would, if the Army called him today, my dad is the type of person that he would try to do what he could. And the way they treat him as a son, I, that's, I'm sorry, that's, I don't appreciate how they've treated him all down through the years. We're going to deal with all of that. It's a vast show tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and it has a lot to cover.
Uh, we may do a part two next week if we run out of time. Uh, Dennis, you are a veteran on this panel. Uh, your thoughts about what you're hearing that's going on here? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It is about a dollar. Uh, the VA, I mean, you would think that you could go to the VA and uh, all your solutions would be solved. But as you can see, you have different entities out there like DAV. You have lawyers, all these other people that are advocating for veterans uh, when technically you shouldn't have to have that. But you do because it's not about uh, your benefits. It's not about taking care of you. Yeah, you serve your time. Thank you for serving this country. Uh, we give you the hoorah flag, all that good stuff. But when it comes to taking care of veterans, there should be no homeless veterans, period. There shouldn't be. I mean, people don't understand the, the you know, when you give your life to the military, when you spend time in the military, I'm telling you, you're in a different world. You're, you're, you're living a different life. And then when you come out of the military, now you got to readjust. You got to figure out how to, you know, adapt to civilian life. And to do that, if the veteran, if VA is not willing to help you, then what happens is most of these guys or, or women end up on the street. Well, the problem, and not only VA, uh, the way veterans are treated Period. by the public, is that in grocery stores, how they're treated and looked down on in different environments that you may see them in. Uh, you know, a lot of the veterans are wear the decorated hats. Um, I take a moment anytime I see that uh, to thank them for their service and what they've done. I think they, they get, they get a really a short end of the stick. Uh, so, again, this is such a vast topic of how have our veterans been left. Uh, we are dealing with a, a case locally here with a uh, Maxie Linton, him and his wife, Brenda Linton, uh, dealing with some major issues. One of the issues at Silver Heights uh, Nursing Rehabilitation Center in Castle Rock, uh, we're going to get into that. You're not going to believe where uh, they okayed, VA okayed one of these particular locations to be a place for uh, for this veteran at the end of days of his life uh, to stay. Uh, we're talking about blood on sheets, filth beyond recognition, uh, uh, really not fit for uh, a dog, not even fit for dogs live better than what I saw there. Dogs live better than that. And this is just unbearable. Came to the point uh, where Miss Linton had to actually pull him from that uh, location immediately upon arriving there. Uh, and it was a facility sanctioned by the VA. Uh, you're sanctioning stuff like this. That's a problem. We're going to get into all of that. Again, I I'm leaning towards a part two on this because there's a lot covered. We're going to deal with many different scenarios where veterans have been veterans rather have been left in harm's way uh clint you had a comment yeah it's uh it's a pretty sad uh reality my dad uh like demetrius has gone through he's he's deceased no longer with us but he was a part of the camp lejeune uh regime of uh you know they they got that approved but he lived most of his life uh under the, under the cloud and under the, the, the disadvantaged situation there what he but he endured from Camp Lejeune. And uh, as a son of a disabled veteran that uh, that was done like that by the government, I just, uh, words words really escape you because it's a very sad reality and it's something that uh, kind of breaks you up. You know, you start thinking about you know, all the all the struggle that, 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 you, that the veterans are going through. And as a veteran myself, I really don't want to go through the process. You know, it, it is a very, very sad reality. 
But uh, that's about as much as I can say right now. Oh, yeah. To the veterans on this panel, thanks for your service uh, when you gave it. Uh, we appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen, veterans left in harm's way. We deal with it on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Do you know what this means? Do you? It means you can voice your opinion without censorship or restraint. It means you can say nothing at all. It means you can debate, protest, question, contribute, whenever, wherever. Take it. Embrace it. Say it out loud. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Operator 901, where's the emergency? 127, been there. Okay, what's going on there? I'd like to order a pizza for delivery. Ma'am, you've reached 911. This is an emergency line. Yeah, uh, large with half pepperoni, half mushroom. Um, you know you've called 911. This is an emergency line. Do you know how long it'll be? Okay, ma'am, is everything okay over there? Do you have an emergency or not? Yes. And you're unable to talk because... Right, right. Okay, is there someone in the room with you? Just say yes or no. Yes. Okay, um, it looks like I have an officer about a mile from your location. Are there any weapons in your house? No. Can you stay on the phone with me? No. Uh, See you soon. Thank you. In the fabric of America, they are the toughest threads. One of the first things they learned was the code that every service member lives by. Leave no one behind. Now all of us need to live by it, too, because some veterans are being left behind. Twenty of them take their own lives every day. Learn how to be there for a veteran at BeThereForVeterans.com. Honor the code. Be there. Leave no one behind. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. 
Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a lot. are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. Meeting a teen girl online is actually pretty easy. You can go into any chat room and just start talking. Most of the girls are usually so insecure and desperate for attention. Attention from older guys is totally flattering. They're so much more mature and understanding than the guys might. Age actually works to my advantage. They like to brag to their friends that they're dating an older guy, so I just play along and pretend I'm really interested. He's interested in the same things I am. You can talk forever and really get to know someone without worrying about looks or whatever. That's the best thing about chatting. Chatting seems unthreatening to them, so they lower their guard. After a while, I start talking about how we're soulmates and how lucky we are to have found each other. Other people don't understand. I know what I'm doing. If you really care about each other, there's nothing wrong with me. Meeting them is the goal. Once I get them out of their house. Well, that's when things get really interesting. Online predators know what they're doing. Do you? Gentlemen, as tonight, AJC Radio takes a look at the treatment of veterans in this country. Um, we are addressing this show based upon some behaviors, if you will, that happened in the last couple of weeks locally with a veteran who served 30 years uh, in the service, uh, Maxie Linton, uh, as well as his wife, uh, Brenda Linton. Maxie happens to be at the end of days uh, of his life. 
and he has been taken from one facility to another. He has not been cared, in my opinion, uh, being in the middle of this, cared for as he should have been. And that's with local hospitals. It's with uh, the, the places, as we named Silver Heights Skilled Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Castle Rock, uh, Colorado, right here uh, in our backyard. And it is absolutely shameful what we have seen. And for someone to give their life to that level, uh, I don't care how long you've been in, the longer you've been in, the more service that you gave. To be treated as a second-class citizen in this country, uh, to be, have a homeless rate at the level that it is, this is how we say thank you to the veterans that have given really their lives for the liberties in which we enjoy today. Um, I think it's a, it is a true tragedy, but it doesn't stop, start or stop here. Uh, the VA and the treatment of veterans is an ongoing problem in this country from coast to coast. Um, when you see a veteran on the side of the road with the sign, we'll work for food, please help me, I'm hungry, it is a disgrace that any veteran would be in a situation that he doesn't have food to eat, that he doesn't have housing, that he, he doesn't have clothes to wear, a veteran. But yet in the time of war, uh, depending on the length of time that they, have, they were in, uh, I think uh, Demetrius uh, named his father two tours in Vietnam. And they sit back and wait for him to die in order not to pay out any type of benefit uh, to his father. Uh, I am deeply saddened by what I have seen uh, through the research for this show and what we have seen uh, in the case of Maxie Linton. Uh, I, I'm, I'm saddened by what, uh, what I have seen. Uh, if you folks want to call in, uh, feel free to dial in to 646-200-0628 if you have a comment about this. Uh, we're more than uh, happy to take your call and get your thoughts. Uh, right now, we are going to uh, switch gears a little bit. A uh, young lady who is familiar with some of the treatment of veterans, uh, and her name is Martha Deaver. Uh, she's president of AANHR. I'm going to let her introduce herself and explain what that is. But she has seen some things as we talk about this nursing home, Silver Heights uh, Nursing and Rehabilitation Center. Uh, we're going to get into this discussion now. Um, and Martha, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule tonight to join us. It's we appreciate my pleasure. That. It's my, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you. We're glad to have you. And Martha, I don't know how much of the show you've heard thus far. Uh, this is a vast uh, show, as, as I anticipate, going to be a part one and a part two, because there's so much to cover. Uh, I'd, sure. like you to introduce, I'd like you to introduce yourself to our audience, to our guests, um, and to the panel here, and uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, what you do. And again, we're honored to have you on our show. Thank, thank you so very much. Well, you know, uh, right now I'm uh, angry because I have been listening. Uh, let me first start out by saying one of the most important things I need to say, and that is I was born and raised in the military. My father spent 30 years in the Air Force. He was a commander. He also which was a Mitchell B-25 bomber and flew 50 successful missions. The bombs are painted on his bomber. Uh, let me say, 
His name it was his name was Edward Steger. Uh, my mm-hmm. name, as you said, is Martha Deaver. I'm the president of the Arkansas Advocates for Nursing Home Residents. I've done volunteer advocacy for 30 years. My mother died decades ago from nursing home abuse. I work nationally. I educate the public. I counsel residents and their families, and I work with media locally and nationwide. I've worked with the Government Accountability Office, Centers for Public Integrity, Consumer Reports, Ladies Home Journal, ProPublica, Kaiser Foundation, New York Times, USA Today, and I turn information over to federal and state agencies such as the FBI, the Office of Inspector General, and Attorney General's Office. Well, Uh, let me say this. Let me say this. Your resume is vast, and we appreciate all that you have done. Uh, Let me say uh, I'm grateful. Uh, Salute your father for his service. I'll do that publicly on this show. Thanks for his service and all that. And thanks for what you do, uh, which is a big deal. Um, This is so we're definitely going to be in touch offline for some of the stuff we've seen here. As I I named Silver Heights Skilled Nursing and Rehabilitation Center, where we ran into this issue of really a place that really shouldn't be open. They should not be open uh, with the condition of that rest home. So we will be uh, Uh, talking offline. But it's a pleasure to have you. Yes. Well, thank you. And let me say this. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of facilities across this nation that house our honorable veterans that should not be open. And our own government data says that. Generally, the public is not aware of the, our own government reports and the inspection data that pertains to every nursing home in the nation. I keep up with that stuff. Our own government reports. Uh, are are some of the worst, worst violations that are cited are in the majority of our nursing homes. Uh, our veterans are, to me, paying a price. We pr- They protected us. We are not protecting them. Uh, until these nursing homes are held accountable, until the oversight agencies do their job, Nothing's going to change, but that is what I fight for and work on and expose to the media every single day. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. And you know what, Martha, this is when we went through some of this stuff this week, uh, in the last couple of weeks with this gentleman, uh, Maxie Linden, who I, who I named earlier, he's at the end of his mm-hmm. life, uh, pulled up to Silver Heights Skilled Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Castle Rock, Colorado, Pulled up there. The place was so horrifically filthy. Uh, we, we went in there to to position him into this place. It was recommended by the VA. Uh, it was a list of nursing homes. They said, okay, this, this will work. Here's the sad yeah. part about what I'm getting ready to tell you. When they got in there, the excuse from the young lady, Lacey's her name at the, at the, uh, at the uh, nursing home, said to mm-hmm. me, and I said, can you explain to me? why the conditions are what they are. Her words to me was, the water's bad out here. Uh, We can't get the blood out the sheets, in which they went to try to place him in a bed with blood on the sheets of his bed. Uh, Absolutely. Go ahead. There's an oversight agency. 
and there are federal laws and that pertain to over 15,000 nursing homes, and this is one of them, okay? The oversight agency needs to be contacted, and a complaint needs to be filed immediately on this facility. Now, I'm one of those that I'm a realist because I deal with horrific cases, everything from residents dying from ant bites to maggot in wounds to rapes. Uh, there were over 200,000 nursing home residents and employees that died during COVID. The federal government said the majority of those died because infection control laws were not followed. You, the, you, the more often somebody can be in this facility and keep an eye on this veteran, the longer he will live and the less he will suffer. They have to make sure that he is fed because you cannot rely on them to feed him or her. You have to make sure they get enough fluids. You have to make sure they don't get bed sores. And if they start violating the laws and pertaining to this honorable veteran, which is abuse and neglect that I just mentioned, they have to call the oversight agency. But I am going to tell you, I've dealt with thousands of nursing homes, thousands of residents, thousands of veterans, and it is a war. It is a battle. It is ongoing. Okay? Yes. Yes. Now, um, in, just the, in just last month, I get a call from a rep from reporters talking to me about the fact that our attorney general, we have two veteran nursing homes ran by the state. One of them, the attorney general, I get a call by a reporter saying, listen, uh, the attorney general just fined the Fayetteville nursing home $50,000. Uh, for failure to follow staffing laws and because a, a veteran got harmed because they allowed him to get out of the facility. So I start looking into it, and I said, well, just a minute, there's more. So I did my research, and this facility not only was responsible for those actions, but they also were cited for violations for storing food, violations for mice and insect control, violations for failure to perform respiratory care. They failed to care for our veterans' bed sores, and they also failed to provide COVID tests to the residents and employees. Now, when I say failed, those are violations of the laws. This is the same facility that I exposed in 2012, which culminated in the resignation of the Arkansas Department of Veterans Affairs. In 2012, I went to five different veteran organizations. I put together a rally at the state capitol that hundreds attended after I exposed over 300 pages of abuses in 2012. And I'm telling you, if you want me to name some of those abuses, I will. But they were unspeakable, okay? No, I got you. Martha, name some of those for us, if you would. Failure 
failure to do wound care on our veterans, failure to ensure pain management was done when they did wound care, failure to ensure licensed nurses were in the facility, failure to investigate abuse allegations, failure to meet pharmacy standards, failure to follow Arkansas State Board of Nursing Practices, failure to clean catheters, failure to follow doctor's orders in dealing with oxygen. They failed to ensure that residents with oxygen had current doctor's orders for oxygen, failed to have licensed nurses, failed to ensure residents were given wound care when needed. I can go on. And, now, every single one of these was in an investigated report. I'm going to tell you something, that dogs are not treated like this. I had the rally. Hundreds of people attended. It was amazing. But after I exposed these abuses, for three years I was in the news back and forth with the Department of Veterans Affairs and our governor fighting to make sure these veterans got the care they deserved. And I'm going to tell you, there wasn't one article that was in the newspaper that they prevailed. When it came down to it, I was actually asked to pick the new administrator for that veterans nursing home because I guess they were tired of dealing with me. Then I was also asked by the Department of Veterans Affairs to sit on a committee in putting together a new veterans nursing home at North Little Rock. That's our second veterans nursing home. Well, I sat on the committee. It was opened in 2017. By 20, I'd exposed pages and pages of abuses that had been going on there. Now, remember, when I say exposed, employees call me from across the state in the United States. Family members call me. Veterans call me. But I am telling you, the North Little Rock facility was also in the news last month. So the reporter also called me about the fact that this facility also uh, had been accused of abuse. But this is the one, the North Little Rock one, is the one the Attorney General Medicaid Fraud Unit arrested a nursing assistant for abuse, for fraud, and for theft. And I said, wait a minute, that's not all that's going on in that facility. So I did my research on that one. And there were 14 more violations, failed to provide laboratory work when doctor's orders were given, failed to develop and implement policies to prevent bed source neglect and theft. These are all violations of federal law, failed to provide safe and appropriate respiratory care. Now, also this facility, I was called uh at the beginning of the year by a veteran called Robert Fury. He said, Miss Deaver, my brother who was a veteran I've not seen in four months. He was just sent to the VA hospital. He said to me, Miss Deaver, his whole foot is rotted off. I said, what? And he sent me the pictures. You ought to see my album of pictures. He sent me the picture. I said, oh, my God, they did not do wound care on a Bitsora on his brother's heel at this North Little Rock Veterans Home for months. 
They put him in the hospital. They tried. Uh, they had to amputate his leg, and he died. This is one of hundreds of examples that I can give you. There's nothing any more un-American than what's going on in our nation's nursing homes. You know what, Martha? Look. Wow. I mean, because it is not information that is submitted uh, to the public, um, and they hide behind that simple fact. Um, what you're doing is absolutely amazing. I salute you for your service, your work, your dedication, uh, and your passion to address these issues. I'm going to play a clip for you right now uh, that talks about the abuse of veterans that people are talking about. I think what you have seen, and that is tragic, but I am going to dig some more with you. I think you mentioned that there were actual uh, sexual assaults done to some of these veterans. Oh, there's sexual assaults. Uh, in nursing homes across the United States. What, what you, um, let me say this. Yes. Most people don't realize that there may be one or two state-ran veteran homes in a state. But then regular nursing homes, like the one in Colorado you were talking about, they actually contract out to the VA. So every state may have 30, 40, 100 of their nursing homes some of them the worst of the worst that can't write a contract out with the VA and the VA approves for them to take yep. care of our veterans. Okay. Okay. Well, let me play this clip. We're going to come back. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break, gather some more information in regards to this, these, this veteran abuse. Um, and we appreciate that. Let's go ahead and play the clip. We'll be right back with you. Martha. Mr. Speaker. I'm outraged over reports involving the care of our veterans and the blatant mismanagement at the VA. We've made promises to our nation's veterans, and yet wounded veterans are waiting months and even years, with some even dying due to backlogs at the VA. I found out yesterday a veteran in my district died from excessive delays because he was unable to get necessary heart surgery. Delays at the VA hospital in Phoenix may have led to additional deaths. And reportedly, VA officials have ordered hospital workers to shield this information in order to hide incredibly long waits. Workers at a VA clinic in Fort Collins, Colorado, were supposedly told to falsify appointment records to escape retribution for not meeting agency-imposed goals. If they didn't, meet, they didn't do that, they were going to end up on a bad boys list. Mr. Speaker, if true, these reports demonstrate a serious problem within the VA. The brave Americans who served our country did not wait months or years to answer the call to protect our freedom. They deserve the best care that we can give them in a timely manner. Unfortunately, under current leadership with the VA, that seems impossible. If Secretary Shinseki can't get this done, President Obama needs to find somebody who can. Well, there you have it. Uh, look, people are crying out about the abuse. They're crying about who's in charge. It starts at the top. Uh, Martha, we're going to be right back on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. America's veterans left in harm's way is out of control. We'll deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. <laughs> Thank you. 
There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. 
Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I wanted to be in the military since I was a a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Radio tonight. Feel free to dial in to 646 Tonight, uh, we've been uh, honored to have Martha, Martha, excuse me, um, on this show speaking about the abuse of actual veterans in these nursing homes across the country. Um, it is a saddening thing to hear. Uh, all that has happened, all that continues to happen uh, in this country regarding our veterans. And I am really saddened by what I've heard. We have a couple of veterans on our panel, a few of them, and I'm going to get to Dennis. Dennis, when you heard some of the things that Martha has shared as a veteran, what are your thoughts to that type of abuse? It's, it's a sad here. I mean, it's sad to listen to what she was saying about how you know, in order to ensure that your loved one is taken care of, you need to continually, you know, monitor and check, and, you know, go by, ask questions. I mean, uh, I'm thankful she's on the show to put something out like that. But it's just the fact that, you know, you would you trust you entrust your loved ones in the care and you would hope that they're going to be taken care of. Because I'm sure when you're you know, when you originally uh, take them to whatever home it is. You get briefed, and I'm sure they show you all these beautiful pictures and how they're going to take care of your uh, loved one and make sure they're, you know, any all their needs are met. And then you find out that 
you know, that they're being abused. I mean, it's a sad thing. Veterans, uh, you know, just people in general to be put in a position to think that their loved ones are being taken care of. And in actual reality, they're being abused, uh, things being stolen from them. You know, they're not being, you know, nurses not checking on them, medication, all that good stuff. But it's good to know, it is truly good to know that, uh, that, that people are out there. There's, there's groups out there that are saying, no, enough is enough. We need to get this fixed. No, absolutely right. Samson, your thoughts on Ms. Ms. Deaver, I'm coming to you here in a moment. Yeah, no, just, I mean, to kind of like caveat on what Dennis is saying, I mean, we, we would expect the people that, you know, laid down their life or, you know, basically put themselves out there for this country that they would be able to come home and, you know, towards the end of their life, as, as Mr. Linton is, be able to rest somewhere comfortably and with the respect and dignity that they've so rightfully earned while their, you know, their caretakers, you know, wouldn't have to go back and basically monitor the people that are supposed to be taking care of them. Instead, you know, like you said, we have it where people are uh, being put in facilities that are no better than dog kennels, you know, on sheets and beds that are, are soiled or, or worse, you know, being abused mentally, physically, and in all other ways, you know, just being berated when the fact of the matter is, is like they should be able to, you know, retire, rest, and eventually pass on in with some sort of dignity and integrity intact. Okay. Martha, those are our veterans, uh, a couple of our veterans on our panel. Um, so when you hear about it, and we're against the clock, uh, so we're going we're gonna to make sure we respect your time tonight. Uh, when you hear of the things that you have seen, uh, it has to be overwhelming without question uh, okay. that, that our veterans are treated as, you know, to this level of abuse. And that's exactly what it is. It's abuse. Um, oh, oh, it's, abu- you- it, it, it's torture. Hey, call it what it is. It's torture, and I'm honored to be on with with the, these veterans that just spoke. I'm yes. honored. Let me Thank let you. me say this. I've worked nationally. I thank you. I don't know if you saw that I'm the only person in the United States that in 2010 was sent to Washington, D.C. to get an award from the United States director of the FBI for my work in exposing abuses, but also holding these evil people accountable. Now, I have gotten them prosecuted and I have gotten them fined millions of dollars. But I want to address what the two veterans just mentioned. The thousands and thousands of people that I've talked to, don't worry about my time, the thousands and thousands of people that I have talked to throughout my 30 years of volunteer advocacy, the one uh, number one common denominator is they put their loved one in a facility with nurses and doctors and medications and think that they're safe because of that. That ends up being the kiss of death. Because so many of these families, until something catastrophic has happened, really realize what these facilities are capable of. And then I deal with these families. I can't tell you the number of families that have had to have mental health, that have had PTSD. I cannot tell you the number of veterans that I have dealt with that I have literally had to talk down to keep from doing something that really I 
you know, I don't blame them for telling me they want to do. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. After their loved one has been tortured. 240,000 veterans in Arkansas. Every state has thousands and thousands of veterans. Until our veterans and veteran organizations start sticking together and realize how systemic this issue is and that they are going to be there and could be there one day, there is power in numbers. They have got to stick together and work to do something about these atrocities occurring to our veterans. Absolutely right. And I'll tell you what, and the reason I mentioned the clock, uh, Martha, is because we do have a guest coming on in about 10 minutes. But you have a lot to say, and we're definitely going to be in touch with you offline. The information uh, is definitely Can I give you information? Can I give you you my web? Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I I, kind of have a little delay. No, you're fine. I'll give you an opportunity to do that here shortly. Uh, David, do you have a comment? Yes. Yes. I think uh, as I'm reading on the California Advocate for Nursing uh, Home Reform uh, exposes uh, the money options that are going through uh, and the feeding frenzy that these nursing homes are getting money from Mm -hmm. Medicare, Medicaid, and the VA. Yes. And another thing I'm seeing the more than this article from that advocacy group in California says more than 70% of the country's nursing home providers are using operating funds to pay themselves through so-called related companies. So, so what they're doing is they're setting up, they're setting up these companies for supplies. So they're the supply companies. So they're paying themselves the money for supplies, administrative services, and even financial consulting. So they're and they're in, allowed lies, to do it. Exactly. They're allowed and to do it. And therein lies yes. in lies the problem. They actually have private equity investing in in nursing homes now, to, because they have become a profitable Big business. Yeah, to, to set up these network of related companies yep. and 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 make a lot of money. And so the, you know who result, subsidizes? Yeah. Do you know who subsidizes these nursing homes? Our tax dollars. Our tax dollars subsidize these nursing homes. There, if you ever FOIA, F-O-I, one of their cost reports, and I've looked at thousands, you would be shocked to see how much these nursing homes are given every single year. In Arkansas alone, Arkansas's 230 nursing homes are actually given over $30 million to pay for their liability insurance premium. So in other words, when they harm or kill residents, now these are also veterans approved facilities, when they harm or kill residents, the taxpayers are paying to protect them. Have you ever heard of anything so crazy? No, and like you said, it's 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 akin to a lot of what we see in uh I don't care if it's prisons, halfway houses, now it's nursing homes where there's yes. a lot of government Vulnerable. money coming in. Yeah, coming right. in to and people are making a lot of money off some of the most distressed people in our society. It's very sad. Perfectly Martha, said. Perfectly said. Mar- yes. Martha, what I'd like said. you to do, uh again, we're against the clock with our next guest, but I want uh-huh. you to do me a favor, put your give us your information. Uh, we have your contact okay. information, I believe, but where can people who are in trouble, how can they get a hold of you if they have loved ones, people in these rest homes, 
uh, and veterans okay. being treated the way they are. Why don't you give take an opportunity to give us that information to our listeners so they can contact you? Okay, I'll do that right now. First okay. of all, my website is www.aanoahr.org. Okay. Okay. And it's got my phone few... number. It's got my phone number on it. And okay. it's got government reports, government data, information for veterans. It's got everything on there. Please educate yourself there. But Twitter account, Martha Deaver at Martha Deaver one, the okay. number one. I just started doing Twitter. Okay. So okay. Facebook, Arkansas Advocates for Nursing Home Residents. Remember, okay. I work nationwide. I work nationwide. Phone number. 501-548-8423. Okay. And we appreciate you, Martha, for the information. I will be in touch with you offline uh, about Silver Heights Skilled Nursing and Rehabilitation Center. Maybe there's something that okay. you can actually do there because uh, that's, a, that's a disgrace what's going on there. I can't thank you enough for the time, the information that you have provided for this show tonight. We really appreciate it, and I definitely will be in touch with you, okay? Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm humbled. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, there you Bye-bye. have it. All right. Take care, Martha. Uh, Martha Deaver, uh, advocate, true advocate, sounds like to me, really fighting for veterans and, their, and what's going on there. We're going to take a quick break. Coming back, it's our hopes that we're going to be joined by Mark um, Tisson. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, nursing home uh, uh, lawyer. So we're going to get into that as well. We'll be right back on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Foreman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. 
Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. My nephew Joshua was 13 when he was killed in 2001. Was living with me at the time. He asked me, can I go by Billy's house? I thought, well, you know, what's the harm in that? You know? My mistake was I assumed that there was a parent home. I assumed his father had his weapon properly secured. The kid had removed the magazine, so the kid was sure that the gun was safe. And he, what he didn't know was there was a bullet chamber. Joshua had this fear of weapons because he lost his mother to gun violence. I think this kid really pulled the trigger to show Joshua that, that it was not dangerous the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is to tell my mom we have to bury her grandson. The pain was so great. We just wanted to do something positive. And we also wanted to try to prevent families from experiencing the same pain that this put my family through. With again working with the End Family Fire campaign. Family Fire is the accidental shooting of a family member with a weapon that was improperly secured, improperly stored. It's a difficult conversation for people. You don't want to ask or say anything to your neighbors because you don't want to offend them, but 
there are important things we should know. Where are they going when they play? What is the environment of their home? We have to understand that children are inquisitive. They're curious. And there's not one corner of the house that they haven't gone through. If you're a gun owner, you have to make sure your weapon is inaccessible. It will save the family from the pain and the trauma that my family's put through. Because once that happens, it's forever. And if I could prevent one family from experiencing that, then his life will have some purpose. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we address the issues of our veterans left in harm's way in this country. Uh, we had the opportunity to have Martha Deaver uh, as our guest, a true advocate, it sounds like to me, that's really passionate uh, as a result, I think, of her father's time in the service uh, and some of the things she has seen over the years. We appreciate her joining the show tonight, and uh, we look forward to talking to her again. Uh, right now, without further delay, we are going to be joined by Mark um, Cassoni. Uh, he's a an attorney, uh, and a title is nursing home abuse attorney that deals with issues within the nursing home arena uh, as well. And Mark, are you with us? I am. Good to join you. Thank you so much for taking time today uh, out of your schedule to, to talk about this important issue. It's critically important, and we appreciate you. Uh, taking time to discuss these things. I don't know how much of the show you've heard thus far, uh, but I'll give you the floor to introduce yourself to our listeners and to our panel here, and we can get into the conversation and dialogue if that works for you. Thank you. Absolutely a pleasure. I've been listening to the show. Um, so my name is Mark Sony. I'm uh, a nursing home abuse and neglect attorney um, for okay. plaintiffs. Uh, I work for the E.D. Hill Law Firm in Ohio, um, and basically we serve the entire state of Ohio along with uh, Pennsylvania and Kentucky, and prosecuting um, nursing home neglect and abuse cases. And that includes cases for everyone, including veterans. Um, and one thing that I think I did want to point out, just so that everyone's clear, I know this this conversation has been focused on veterans, but this this is an issue that addresses everyone. Uh, this is not just right. a veteran issue. Uh, you know, this this is a nationwide. Uh, you know, emergency in, in essence, because sure. we're dealing with a scenario in which um, these are generally corporations and uh, the corporations structure themselves such that they intentionally understaff their facilities so that their expenditures are as low as possible. Um, and when you have an understaffed facility, they cannot physically meet the care needs of the people that are in there. Uh, and so it's a situation where uh, stuff's bound to happen. Stuff's bound to go wrong. Uh, you you get pressure for it because there aren't people there to turn and reposition the way that they need to. Uh, right. You have falls because there aren't people there to keep an eye out. Uh, you have infectious diseases spreading because there aren't people uh, that have the time or the supplies to take proper uh, protocols to avoid spreading infectious disease. Uh, so it's, it's a, a grander issue than just veterans. Like really uh, our entire elderly population in the United States is, is largely at risk uh, 
of this, uh, not to mention there are even elderly or non-elderly people that end up in nursing homes as well um, for rehab services, you know, after a car accident or something like that, um, that, you know, it can affect them the same way. Well, no, absolutely right, and uh, we appreciate the work that you do. Uh, when you hear some of the uh, atrocities that are going on with the, the veterans, and again, this, this touches, as you say, people from every spectrum uh, in these nursing homes. Mm-hmm. When you hear some of the stuff you've heard tonight, veteran or not, how troubling is that to you in regards to what you do? Uh, it's 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 incredibly troubling. I mean, unfortunately, this is the stuff that I see every single day of the, of the week. Um, you know, when it comes to bed sores, maggots and wounds, like uh, I believe it was in the fevers was mentioning, uh, you know, falls, uh, infections, you know, all of those things are, are just what I see on a daily basis. Um, and unfortunately, at least uh, where I am, they're, they're often frequent contenders uh, that are uh, at fault in these situations because they're corporations that have a long established history of underfunding their facilities. Um, and so it's, it's a very troubling scenario. And unfortunately, you know, one, one aspect that we, I don't think have, have discussed at all is that there are, there are other people that uh, are really being abused in this scenario. And those are actually the nurses a lot of the time, uh, because there are good people that work in some of these facilities that just are not given the resources that they need to provide the level of care that they want to. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a perfect storm for people being harmed. Um, and unfortunately, there's a lot of effort to keep things secret. Um, people, you know, have a right to request their medical records, but nursing homes often won't provide them uh, because they don't want somebody like me to be able to look at those records and realize, oh, you know, this is not right. You know, this is this is a, a cause for concern and, you know, a potential breach of the standard of care and something that may justify suing them over. Um, and so, you know, my my angle of attack is through the courtroom. And um, basically the way that we hold people accountable is through judgment, you know, in front of a jury where right. uh, the atrocities come, you know, to, to the public forum. And then they pay out, you know, multi-million dollar verdicts as a result. Well, understood. And uh, is, do you see a increase or an uptick in these type of abuses over the, say, the last five, six years? Uh, have we seen this continually become an issue? Or are the results that you're finding in the courtroom bringing a, bringing a result that's kind of bringing that down, that's encouraging or not? Um, I, I would certainly say there's an increase um, in particular uh, during COVID. Um, so I don't, I don't know how Colorado is, but uh, here in Ohio, there was a, a COVID immunity bill passed that uh, was designed to grant immunity for abuses that can be uh, linked to COVID. And so uh, the frequent excuse is, hey, we, you know, we couldn't meet our staffing requirements because staff got sick with COVID or you know, nobody wanted to work, whatever. Um, problem is that staffing was an issue long before COVID ever struck. Uh, right. And right. so when you look at when you look at facilities, you know, staffing is an issue, yes, but it's always been an issue, uh, and it's going to remain an issue until corporations that own these facilities are actually willing to hire uh, enough staff and competent staff at that. 
Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a number of issues, but it certainly got worse um, during the COVID period when uh, nursing homes were shut down. And so families were not able to go in and check on their loved ones. They weren't able to be there to make sure that they were being turned and repositioned. They weren't there to harass nursing staff and uh, the you know nursing assistants in order to make sure that what needed to get done actually got done. And without an advocate, an advocate coming into the building to really hold people accountable, a lot of abuse occurred uh, because there's nobody to oversee it. Wow, and that's that's uh, that's something that's discouraging. Uh, one of our veterans on the panel had a question, Dennis. Yes, Marcus, you were talking. I was just thinking about, uh, you know, how do you fix something like this? How, how do you, wh where's the accountability? How do you, you know, push the oversight? You said that, you know, you take them to court, uh, usually a monetary, you know, judgment. You would think that that would make some changes or, you know, make people really look at, you know, companies really look at, you know, making sure they do the right thing. But uh, you're saying there's a rise. So apparently, that's not the solution. So how would we attack something like this to, to make it better? Um, so, I mean, I think there are going to be a lot of different avenues for attack. Um, I think, uh, I know right now that the government, you know, federal government is making a lot of moves. Uh, I was just reading a, a notice on, on the White House website the other day from, I believe, maybe back in March or April. Um, they, they issued something about, uh, you know, changes to Medicare and Medicare, the, the Medicare regulations are really what govern nursing homes more than anything else. They set up, um, you know, how nursing homes have to be staffed and, and all of that kind of stuff. And right now, you know, the government is, has already, from what I understand, changed the requirements for staffing to increase them. Um, and so government regulation is really uh, the biggest method of uh, affecting change um, on a global or, you know, national level, at least. Um, additionally, inside individual states, you know, state governments have their own health laws and regulations, which uh, manage staffing and health requirements, uh, training, those kinds of things. So state governments can act as well. And then what I tell clients from just sort of my personal perspective on how I hold people accountable uh, from my job is that right. I, I, I like to describe it as uh, if you're in a car accident, okay, so I'm sure everybody that's listening here has you know their car insurance, right? And if you get into a fender bender um, where it's clearly your fault, right? Your insurance company is going to say, "Oh, that's that's not good. Don't do that again." Um, your your rate's going to go up. Right. Um, and then you know you get into another one, and they start looking at you a little bit closer, and they start saying, "Okay, you know, is this somebody we want to continue to insure?" And so a lot of the uh, a lot of the direction is really at the insurance companies that are paying out these judgments uh, much of the time, so that we can try and create a scenario in which insurance companies no longer see nursing homes as an area worth insuring. Um, and I know that to be the case, but from some uh, insurance companies that have gotten out of the nursing home business uh, to receive. Uh, wow. So that's that's part of the direction there to prevent that insurance from happening. And then once they stop being able to get insurance, 
nursing home corporations tend to go to what's called self-insured, where they insure themselves and they'll have their own little insurance policy or sometimes their own insurance company that they create uh, in order to to be insured. And then basically we just keep chipping away at them directly uh, at that point. Right. Well, look, I appreciate the work that you do uh, in regards to uh, this. It takes a special person, I believe, to have to go in uh, and really to go up against businesses or corporations that run these facilities um, have challenges within themselves because they are a for-profit organization. But I think at that time, when you have organizations that are about the profit above the patient or the customers, whoever these these folks are that stay there becomes uh, kind of lost in the lost in the shuffle it sounds like to me um, but the work that you're doing is very uh, respected and, and we appreciate all that you do I'm gonna play or take a phone call from a veteran um, and we're gonna actually see what he has to say and I'm gonna get your thoughts on his comments I think do we have Norman on the sure line thing. thank you yes hello Norman yes thanks for joining us I understand you have a comment or a question Yes, I have a comment. I, I just want to say, first of all, thanks for taking my call. I want to say two things. First, when it comes to the nursing home, it looks to me like there's no accountability. They get these uh, contracts from the government, but then the government doesn't uh, keep an eye on what's going on. That's why uh, they can do what they want to do. Uh, there's no leadership. Everybody can't be a manager just because they get a master's degree and say, hey, you know, I want this position, and they get it. But if they don't have a heart for the people, then they let them do what they want to do. And then second, when it comes to the VA, uh, look, you know, I'm I'm a retired military person, 22 years. I look at it this way. A young man spent 20, 30 years of their life in the military. That's all of their adult life right there. They say, hey, you spend 20 years, you can retire. Well, you can't retire because you can't live off the little bit of money they give you. And then when you do what they tell you to do to try to get that claim through, like they told me, get a letter from the doctor that says this is what you need. I get the letter, I take it in, they still deny me. Then they say, okay, you need a paper trail. Well, they hooked me up with this virtual um, uh, contact on the computer once a month. I do all of that. And, of course, then you get to see a doctor. They give you pills. They always want to give you a lot of pills. And then they keep looking, keep, uh, keep you in limbo. My perspective on that is, hey, they're looking at your age. They feel like pretty soon, you know, if you don't get better, you're going to die. So then they don't have to take care of you. So you do everything they tell you to do and you keep denying. I've been fighting for 20 years now and still haven't got what I'm looking for. So I'm looking at the VA saying, hey, you know what? I don't know what you guys are about. I do what you tell me to do and I still don't get what what I deserve. So... I don't wow. know what the, what the issue is, or what you can, what people, what can be done to help. I mean, to force the VA to do what they should be doing. Well, but I just hope. want to say that and say thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. Uh, it's our hope that uh, through these shows that we do here and getting the word out to the masses, that there's some type of institution of change. Uh, that's what you hope. Um, but this country has become so bent on profit. Uh, and not accountability. And whenever you have that at the forefront of any organization, of any type of endeavor, uh, you're going to have problems because it's not motivating from the right place. Your thoughts on that, Mark? 
I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I think that's that's the center of the issue um, for a lot of nursing homes. Um, as far as the uh, the issues with the VA, obviously, I, that's not really my forte. But right. I, I can say that um, you know, for example, one of the experts that I work with is uh, a director of nursing for a VA uh, facility, an actual mm-hmm. VA facility, not not a facility that's just paid by the VA in, you know, indirectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that she cares about her patients and, and makes sure that you know they're receiving the proper care. Um, I think part of the issue is, unfortunately, that you know there aren't actual VA facilities that everybody's accessible to. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of those VA services are then shipped out to you know, the facilities that are there. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, there's there's only so much oversight that I think the government has the, the capability of exercising. Um, and one thing I, I also want to add to that is it's hard to exercise oversight when you don't know there's a problem. And right. nursing homes set themselves up so that problems don't leave the door a lot of times in my right. opinion. Uh, you know, if you're not willing to let people have their records so that somebody like me can look at them and actually recognize there's an issue, then you're not going to have anyone pursue something uh, in those cases. Right. Uh, you know, it, the, the biggest thing to affect change, in, in my opinion, and, and sort of bring these issues to the forefront, um, at least from the nursing home perspective, is through contacting uh, like the Department of Health. So in Ohio, there's actually a, a nursing home complaint website that you can go to and also a, an 800 number that you can call and you can let them know, hey, this is what happened at the nursing home. You know, this is the, the place. These are the people. And they will go in and do an investigation. They'll interview people. They'll look at records and they'll identify issues and they'll find them. Um and that's something that's also done through Medicare. And so um, I know we were talking a lot about uh, Silver Heights, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so one one thing that I just wanted to let the listeners be aware of, there is information about these nursing homes, okay, that's publicly accessible um, through Medicare.gov. If you just search Medicare nurse, Nursing Home Compare, um, you'll get a result, and it's a, a database where you can plug in you know, your zip code or uh, information like that and find information about the nursing home. So I pulled up this particular one, the Silver Heights. Um, it actually doesn't show up as Silver Heights. It shows up as Castle Rock Care Center. Uh, but okay. the address is the same. Okay. Uh, it's got two stars out of five. So that's not a particularly good star rating. It's below average. And then those stars are broken up into three different categories. There's health infection, where it's got one star out of five. Staffing, where it's got two stars out of five. And then quality measures, which it has five stars in. Uh, and that's generally self-reported anyway. Uh, well, that information is important. Yeah, Go and ahead, if Mark. you scroll down um, a little bit more, they have a list of penalties, for example, where they've been cited by the government. Um, back on February 3rd, 2022, they were cited $39,244. Uh, uh, there's a number of others. If you go back to June 5th of 2020, they were cited $130,230. Uh, by the government. Um, okay. So that gives you an idea of stuff is going on there that's problematic. There's also a nice big red 
uh, hand next to the name that says, uh, this nursing home has been cited for abuse. Uh, that's a bad sign. Uh, okay. So it's important if you're going to put somebody in a nursing home to do this research before you do yes. uh, put them anywhere and find out, okay, what's really going on, what's being reported. And those staffing numbers really play a big role in the quality of care. And if, you, if you've got a, a one-star or two-star facility, you're looking at probably a decent probability of bad things happening. Well, Mark, that information is very important to us. Thank you so much for that. What is the website again? So it's Medicare.gov. This is done by uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, um, Medicare.gov. And it's Medicare.gov slash compare, or I'm sorry, care-compare. But I I just recommend if you put it in Google, just search Medicare Nursing Home Compare. And it'll okay. pop up as the first search. Well, I do appreciate that. And thank you uh, tonight uh, for, for taking some time uh, to talk to us and, and give your insight on these things. I wish you the best of luck. We may call on you, Mark, down the road as we do different shows. If you're open to that, we'd love to have you back. And I think your information is critically important to what we do here at ADC Radio. We appreciate it. Absolutely. I really appreciate the invite. Thank you so much. Okay, look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Have a good night. All right, you too. There you have it. Uh, Mark Tassoni, uh giving some insight on Silver Heights Skilled Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Castle Rock, Colorado, uh, that puts us in a fair position as an advocate to put this information out to the public. That's what we do. That's what advocates do. We'll be back on the other side of the break. This is ABC Radio. We'll be right back. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize the message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add you to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Do you know what this means? Do you? It means you can voice your opinion without censorship or restraint. It means you can say nothing at all. It means you can debate, protest, question, contribute whenever, wherever. Take it. Embrace it. Say it out loud. Our criminal justice system is really violating our values as a people. Uh, We as a nation have this land of the free, uh, this nation that that, uh, savors liberty and those ideals, really, that were lights into the globe, uh, now incarcerates more human beings than any other nation on the planet.
like any system, it always needs refining adjustments, and I think that's where we are now. Uh, as far as policing is concerned, I think policing in America has done a very effective job over the last uh, two decades because crime is down. Crime is down significantly throughout the country, with some exceptions. Um, and I attribute that to smarter policing, better policing, more effective policing, proactive policing. Policing is in some sense a victim of its own success in the following sense. And that is that crime rates have plummeted in the last 30 years. At the same time, public support, public trust, um, public confidence in policing over the same time period has remained flat. The public actually cares a great deal more about how they are treated uh, by public authorities, legal authorities, than they care about the effectiveness of police. My first experience getting uh, hit with tear gas and rubber bullets was on August the 12th, uh, which really radicalized me in a way to want to pursue uh, reform efforts, not only just in Ferguson, but all throughout St. Louis and the entire country. Because, you know, the experience of getting tear gas and hit with rubber bullets was so unbelievable. You know, I, I couldn't imagine something like that could happen in modern day America. If your intention is to, you know, jail massive numbers of people, if you believe that, you know, our prison uh, is an effective means of dealing with the myriad uh, social needs of the African-American community, then, then, then it's pretty effective. Now, I know no one would come out and say something like that. You know, that, that sounds insane. Um, but in fact, there's a long history in this country of dealing uh, with problems in the African-American community through criminal justice system, criminalizing social problems in a way that we don't do in other communities. There are about 140,000 people uh, in the United States who are serving life without parole sentences. The number of people serving life without parole sentences in Western Europe is 12. These very long sentences uh, that are being served is a very unusual feature of American criminal justice. They serve very little public safety effect. Really good study shows that we'd have probably 20% less poverty in the United States if we weren't over-incarcerating at the rate that we are because it has such an impact on people's future earnings when they get out of prison, has an impact on their children uh, and their overall quality of life uh, for their families. But in addition to all that, uh, it is uh, disproportionately punishing minorities in this country as well. There's no difference between blacks and whites who are using drugs or even dealing drugs, but yet African-Americans are about almost four times more likely to be arrested for that. Well, I, I think our criminal justice system um, is working as intended. Um, it is only broken to the extent that our, our society is broken. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Foreman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. 
If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. As tonight, America stands at a point of decision regarding its veterans in this country is far beyond tragic. Um, What we've learned tonight in a very short period of time is that this is the status quo of how veterans are treated in this country, and something needs to be done. If there's a way we could set aside politics out of the equation, perhaps something gets done. Senator John McCain, uh, the late John McCain, was one, I believe, a true soldier for veterans and a true advocate from Capitol Hill that did things to make a difference, not only across the nation, but within his home in Arizona. What lessons can be learned by the passion of of Senator McCain to set aside politics, to set aside big business and give veterans what they so rightfully deserve? Uh, It is critically, critically important. And when you hear all that we've heard tonight, and again, a very special thanks to Mark, to Martha for joining us on our show tonight. Uh, and giving information from both perspectives uh, is critically important. Um, But I cannot help but feel uh, saddened by what we have learned. But it is our job as advocates to put the information out to the American people and to speak to these type of atrocities. David, your thoughts on what we've heard tonight. You made a comment earlier that it, it boils down to money. Uh, not to care for the veterans of this nation, but money is the driving force. How dangerous is that? Well, it's very dangerous. Uh, You're just talking about uh, Silver Heights and go to the website and uh, and look at their their complaints are two times the national, national average, yet why is the federal government still paying or putting VAs or even allowing them to be uh, billed by uh Medicare or any other uh, government type of, of subsidy, and unfortunately, when you wrap legis- uh, when you wrap like VA benefits, it's wrapped in politics and bureaucracy. Uh, whenever all all that does stuff does is diminish the effectiveness of politics, bureaucracy, and money. Uh, you might as well not even have a a program for veterans that because all that that toxic mix all it does is really create an ineffective system and veterans at the end uh suffer right now we're going to hear a little bit i spoke moments ago and i do agree with those thoughts david um that um it's just a bad situation uh, we're going to hear a little bit from senator the late senator john mccain his his voice uh on speaking to um, 
concerns and different uh, legislation that he was able to pass. Let's play the clip. I'd like to thank uh, Senator Flake and Tillis and Senator Ernst. His, uh, gonna, she's providing what she'd be here. And I'd also like to thank Senators Ayotte, Graham, Cornyn, and Cruz for co-sponsoring this legislation. Legislation we are introducing is an all-of-the-above approach to improving access to care at the VA. We developed this legislation after speaking directly to veterans about the problems they experience every single day. Uh, probably the greatest uh, boon to the United States economy took place following World War II when we gave the and legislation concerning the GI Bill, which gave every veteran the opportunity to exercise their choice and to pick the educational institution that they wanted. Uh, that resulted in a tremendous boon to our economy and of course was so important to our veterans. This is all about choice. This is all about whether a veteran should be forced to go to a, uh, a single place where they would receive medical care or whether they would have a choice to go to the medical facility that they think best uh, suits them. This uh, obviously is uh, important, but most importantly, our veterans who have been able, and some have not been able, despite legislation, to take advantage of the choice card have universally uh, been in favor of it. Uh, today, they're still facing obstacles to accessing and using the choice card due to the 30-day, 40-mile restrictions that are currently in place. And it's important that we allow every veteran, no matter where they are geographically, to access to the health care of their choice. I refuse and we refuse to send our veterans back to the status quo of never-ending wait times for appointments and inflexible care. This bill would repeal 30-day, 40-mile restrictions and make the program permanent. I might remind uh, people that uh, after the scandal that took place at the Phoenix VA where 50 veterans died while on a non-existent waiting list, I negotiated with Senator Sanders, who was then chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee. Part of the compromise was that there would be the 30-mile and 40-day, 30-day and 40-mile restriction was part of the compromise. We have now proven that the choice card uh, should be universal no matter where our veteran is geographically or timing. Uh, the bill would require the VA to allow veterans to walk in to visit walk-in clinics without needing an appointment or pre-authorization from the VA. Under the current system, veterans who develop a cold and can't get an appointment first have to visit the emergency room. We've heard from veterans who have waited for 14 hours in the ER without being seen. The Care Veterans Deserve Act will enable veterans to visit walk-in clinics without an appointment, would extend VA clinic and pharmacy hours to nights and weekends. There are many veterans who are working who don't have unable to take a day off. 
from their jobs for an appointment to obtain a prescription from the pharmacy. It will also free up appointments at the VA for veterans in need of care. The bill would allow VA healthcare professionals licensed, registered, or certified in one state to use telemedicine to provide treatment to veterans in other states. We have remote areas of Arizona that telemedicine is by far the most effective way to to treat those with illnesses and those veterans. And if there is a professional that is not from Arizona that can provide that kind of advice and counseling and care, that should happen. The system should go uh, and this is very important. The VA healthcare system should undergo a best practices peer review by the best hospital networks in the nation, such as Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, or MD Anderson. Those reviews will begin at VA hospitals with the longest wait times or worth or that has the worst health outcomes so we can prioritize improvements. Um, this effort that we've been making uh, I believe has have shown some progress, but I think facts remain that we have a long way to go. We've learned a lot of lessons since our first VA reform bill passed. Now we need another VA reform bill to take advantage of lessons learned. I think one of the first indications of real progress for all of us will be when veterans feel that they don't have to contact our offices. We still, in my office, are handling as many as 500 veterans' cases in, uh, at one time, and that hasn't decreased. The day that it decreases, I think, will be the day that we will have shown some progress in care for our veterans so that they are not required to come to our offices, which many of them view as a place of last resort. We have a long way to go. We've made some progress. We need to pass this legislation if we are going to provide our veterans with what they have earned. Well, there you have it, late Senator John McCain. Uh, in my opinion, a true patriot of this country. Uh, Dennis, when you hear that, um, when you hear that from the late Senator, and that was really encouraging to hear. But he was about that. Uh, he was about instituting change and being a true soldier, uh, a POW as well. Uh, he had a heart for, for veterans in a big way. And the, the fact that the scandal started where he resides, what do you think of what you've heard from him? It's, it's awesome to hear that somebody at that time, I mean, would step up and say, okay, we have a problem. And not only just say we have a problem, but address the problem. You know, you, you know, today, you know, crossing aisles, you know, party lines to try to make things happen. But one thing he was, he, he would cross a party line. He didn't care uh, whether, you know, Democrat or Republican. It was about uh, taking care of our, our veterans and making sure that they had the care or could acquire the care that they needed. Like he said, in some, there are some remote places where, you know, some, some veterans couldn't get care. And he looked at all of that. He didn't just look at, you know, let's, let's fix, fix the VA, but let's be able to find different ways to uh, support our veterans. That's awesome. I think we got a call on the line by the name of Joe. Um, Joe, are you with us? Uh, yeah. 
I didn't know that that was a clip. I thought you actually had a guest on the show, so I wanted to relate a particular situation that I was involved in. Sure, but, you can um, do that. No, that's okay. I can come back another time. Thanks. All right, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Senator John McCain really pressing to make a difference in this country, uh, doing his, and he fought for them until uh, his last days. Uh, continued to do what he could for the veterans uh, of this country. Uh, and for that, he is, at one point for that, he is sorely missed. Samson, your thoughts on, on the senator and his, his passion for that? Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is we need more people like the late, great John McCain. The fact of the matter is, I mean, as Dennett pointed to, get the bureaucracy out of the way, cross party lines, make stuff happen for people that are putting their life on the line or did put their life on the line each and every day. I mean, he, he was known, I mean, some people thought he was out there, but he was definitely not, you know, your conventional uh, politician, especially when it came to the fact of the matter of Veterans Affairs, because he lived it. You know, right. he, he was there firsthand. He knows the struggle. He knows the lifestyle. He knows, you know, what it feels like to come back from war, to come back from service, and to come back to a country that is, I mean, for lack of a better term, completely ungrateful to the men and women that put their lives on the line. So the fact that he was getting out there and advocating – and you can't say enough good things about this man. And go ahead, David. Unfortunately, and we'll reiterate, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, John McCain had very good intentions, uh, except to the money, the politics, and the bureaucracy. All it does is serve to corrupt anything that 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 is, that should yield. Uh, good fruit, uh, even for the veterans or many other people in this country. And that's just the sad reality of the world we live in. And sometimes, I don't know if it's an intractable problem, because it seems like politics and money are uh, are at the foundation of everything that happens in this country. And they uh, always seem to bring a negative impact uh, and negative results uh, to uh, something that's actually good. It's really tragic. Uh, that it is, and it's something that uh, uh, that we have to pay attention to uh, as a as a country. Dennis, your thoughts on the on the senator's position? On, yes, I'm sorry. Did you have a comment to make? I was just going to say I was reading something online, and it was talking about how I guess I knew there was a lot of veterans that were in this category, but I didn't realize how many. They said 40. 46% of veterans are over the age of 65, and over half of that percentage is needs assistance um, in a, some type of a nursing home. You know, it's a big population of our veterans that are in nursing homes. And then they were just, it was talking about some of the other things that they deal with outside of the normal issues that um, they might have PTSD, right? And people don't necessarily know how to deal with that, could take something wrong and then abuse them because of that or that they have um, uh, issues uh, from that they face in the military. So they're saying on top of the regular health complications, they face more issues than a normal person. So. Sure, it's, it's a surely tragic thing. Um, we're talking, one point we mentioned earlier was the homelessness of our veterans. We're going to play a real uh, clip to close this show out. We'll be right back after the clip. Let's play it.
troops in Iraq, their job, of course, is to complete the mission. Their hope is to come home. For some, the journey back is full of setbacks and unwelcome surprises. For some, they wind up homeless. A small number of Iraq, Iraq and Afghanistan vets are turning up homeless these days. Their veterans uh, just return back. Maybe they live even near you, living on the streets. Tonight, they're going to meet one of them. There are two things National Guard Corporal Joe Ricaldo never dreamed he'd see. The sun setting over Iraq and the sun setting over his 98 Plymouth, the car he now calls home. I never thought, like, after the ball was dropped, you're out here in this parking lot. I never thought I'd be here. The long road to get here, a parking lot in Jones Beach, New York, began two years ago in Iraq. So you were in the sling here? Yeah, actually, in that top piece in the front turret. Joe was the gunner in this Humvee when his vehicle took a sharp turn and flipped. His body was nearly crushed underneath. I just remember I couldn't move anything. I couldn't breathe. I was bleeding. You know, I just felt blood all over me, my face. And I squeezed out the words, you better get a medevac fast, because I thought that was it. Joe suffered traumatic brain injury, broke his back, all his ribs, and shattered his left arm. He was unconscious for days. They told my sister, they were going to fly her out there. I wasn't going to make it. But to the surprise of his own doctors, he survived. Over many months, doctors pieced him back together using metal rods and screws to fuse his spine and metal plates to hold his shattered arm together. Yeah, not a metal. Not a metal. Probably build a small Eiffel Tower with a hardware. Today, every step hurts, but Joe remembers when he could run on this beach for miles. Me and my friend, we used to go eight miles that way. Joe can't lift more than 10 pounds, so he couldn't go back to being an auto mechanic. Instead, he took a job with the National Guard patrolling Penn Station in New York. He says he lasted six months before landing in the hospital again with back pain and a bone infection. At that point, I gave up. I simply gave up. I know I can't work. I have no income coming in. I'm finished. What he had coming in was $218 a month from a disability check. So it wasn't long before Joe, at age 50, ended up homeless. This is my clothes closet here. The trunk is your closet. Yeah, forgive me, the maid never showed up. I'm on a fire when I get a hold. Joe says he's looked for part-time work with no luck. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bob. How are you? He has one sister and a few friends who have offered to help, but he's too proud to accept it and too proud to stay in a shelter. So he spends most days alone, a stranger in his hometown of Hicksville, New York, on Long Island. One possible reason for his withdrawal Joe was recently diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. I just don't belong. I don't feel I belong anywhere around here. Joe is one of an estimated 600 homeless veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan. That's not many compared with the 200,000 or so from all wars who are currently homeless. But these vets are showing up even more quickly than after Vietnam, a war that left nearly 70,000 homeless, an even greater number than died in combat. If the experience with Vietnam is any predictor, I am very worried about the numbers of, of, of homeless veterans or people at risk of being homeless who are returning from Iraq and Afghanistan. The Department of Veterans Affairs is working to avoid a repeat of what happened after Vietnam. There was a delayed effect uh, with a lot of veterans after Vietnam. We know that. We've, we've studied it. We've learned from that. And so that's why we're trying to intervene now uh, right away. The VA spent more than a billion dollars on homeless programs last year, but some veterans still fall through the cracks. Misclassified, as the VA now says Joe was, unable to receive full compensation. You feel sort of like you got lost in the system? Absolutely. Lost. I'm still lost. 
I'm still busy for what happened. And sick and tired of fighting for benefits. Last month, though, Joe's persistence began to pay off. His disability status was raised from 20% to 60%, or $873 a month. But as Joe puts it, in New York, that is just enough to either afford an apartment or eat, not both. I'm disgusted. And it's not because I'm a veteran or a soldier or somebody who served. That means nothing. You know, we choose to go. No one forces us to go. I'm just saying you, got, you should be treated like a human being, for God's sake. It's all I want. And then I think about the other veterans from other wars, and they're still fighting to this day. It's just it's horrible. And I had to live it. It was only after CNN made repeated inquiries about this case that the VA called to inform us that Joe would finally be granted full 100% disability status, retroactive to March and worth $2,600 a month, meaning he may actually get to sleep in a real bed very soon. When we called Joe with the news, he said he'll believe it when he gets the first check. The war in Iraq may have broken his body, but it's the fight here at home that's come close to breaking his spirit. have it. Uh, very heart-wrenching story. Um, but he's one, he's one of many. He's one of many people um, and veterans that are suffering without cause. You know what I mean? I don't know what else a person has to do to be a patriot in this country and have to come. He was safer in the war of Iraq than coming back home? That is a uncomprehendable way to see it, but it is the truth. Put me back in warfare, but don't bring me home because the conditions are at such a level. That is a true tragedy. That is a true tragedy. Uh, We're going to pick this up next week, part two, our veterans left behind in harm's way. The next time America, good night. This is a Jesse Radio, signing off.